The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Heavenly Father, just uh, it can give us chills to realize that as we sit here together and your word is read, we're hearing your voice. We're hearing the voice of the transcendent God who created all things. You created each one. You know us, Lord. You're a holy God. And you've given us these glorious and beautiful standards of, of righteousness, what it means to love you, to love our neighbor. And so, Lord, we pray as we take these in that you'd help us to understand them rightly, honestly, truthfully, uh, that you give us the humility to measure ourselves by them, um, but, but most especially that you draw us to Christ, that you'd show us his beauty in perfectly keeping these things for us and how in him we are right with you. And Lord, then give us new hearts to love you more deeply and to love your ways, to love our neighbor, Lord, by doing all we can in your grace and your strength to keep these commands. So that's what we pray for this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Going through the Ten Commandments, this week we're on number eight, Eighth Command, you shall not steal. And if you're like me, perhaps you're thinking, finally a command I'm pretty good at keeping. Um, a Barner report from several years ago, read about this this week, 86% of all adults said they keep the command fully to not steal. 86%. And yet somehow consumers lost $6 billion to fraud last year. Every year businesses lose $50 billion as a result of employee theft. 60% of employees said they would steal if they knew they wouldn't get caught. Something like $70 billion is stolen each year from retailers shoplifting, smashing grabs, all the rest. Evidently, someone out there is breaking this command. So I think most of us would agree that the prohibition against stealing is essential for any kind of a civilized society to exist, right? I mean, you just imagine, even if you feel like, I hardly have any property, imagine just what you do have. And imagine you had no security and knowing that you had that to do with as you saw fit, you can't plan or create or build or provide. Um, so this is, this is essential for society. And obviously not stealing is love for your neighbor, right? Even the most extreme moral relativist will all of a sudden harden up on objective truth when you try to take his wallet. So on one level, it should be simple, don't steal. And you know what? Um, I would be comfortable trusting you guys with pretty much everything I have. I, I would trust you. I would trust that you wouldn't steal from me. So on one level, it just seems simple. But on another level, look, people do steal, obviously. In fact, the more we look in our hearts, we realize we're, we're selfish by nature. We're takers by nature. I mean, your first sin may have been, like, right, like little Susie had the, the blocks you wanted, and you waddled over in your training diaper, and what'd you do? You took it, and you said, it's mine. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, we're, we're wired to think primarily of ourselves, and we're wired to, to take 
to hoard. So we're selfish takers by nature. And as we, as we unpack what the Bible says about this command, we realize we, we steal in a great variety of ways. Um, and I think as we look at a lot of these implications, we're going to find that none of us on our own is innocent when it, as we stand before this command. And in fact, this command shows us, I think, this transformation of the heart we need and the one way you find it can occur. So this is what I want to do with this, kind of same thing we've done with the last few commands. We're going to work through four categories this morning. Uh, one, just I want us to see foundations that undergird this command. Um, we know it's important because we don't want people to take our stuff, but there's so much more than that. Uh, number two, we're just going to look at some of the applications of this command that we could find in Scripture, but there's a lot more. Um, number three, we're going to think about how Christ fulfills this command, and it's so beautiful, and that's the thing actually that can transform your heart, is seeing how he fulfills it. And then finally, category four, we're going to look at some important ways we follow Jesus in keeping this command, all right? So just to back up if you're taking notes, foundations of the command, applications of the command, Christ fulfills the command, ways we want to follow Jesus in keeping this command. First of all, foundations. As we read this command, obviously it includes the reality of private property, right? How would it make sense if you didn't have something that was yours and not someone else's? So it raises the question, where does the right to private property come from? It's a massive philosophical question, right? A lot of opinions about it. But what we see here in the scriptures is the right to private property it does not come from the state. It, it does not come just from survival of the fittest power grab. No, the right to property, to ownership, it actually comes from God in creation. So if you're going to read Genesis 1 to 2, right, you'd remember, God made us, male and female, in his image. So in that first account there, Adam and Eve are designed with this glorious dignity to enjoy God and represent him on earth, Right? Then what does God do with him after he makes him? Do you remember? Where does he put him? He puts him in a garden. And now they have this context where God makes them responsible. Whose garden is it? It's God's garden. But God makes them responsible to cultivate it, build it up, makes them responsible to protect it, and all according to the wisdom of his word. And so we see this first principle. God stewards property to people as part of how they live out what it means to be made in his image and accomplish the calling he's given to them. It makes sense, doesn't it? What are some of the major ways you're able to love your neighbor? You have some sort of resources to give, to offer, to provide. We see this theme in Exodus 20 as well. Again, we're thinking of foundations to this command that God would steward ownership of something anyway to his people made in his image. You see it in Exodus 20 as well. The reason, one of the reasons we read the whole passage every Sunday, right? We didn't just read, thou shalt not steal today. We read verses one to two. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This command is given to slaves, or former slaves. Imagine hearing it in that context. They used to be property. 
but God has delivered them out of slavery. And now he's going to bestow upon them property to steward. And so they, as they enter in this covenant relationship with God, they're, in, they're a new creation, or they're meant, they're meant to be. And so a part of how they live that out is how they steward what God has given them. We've said this before, right? First four commandments, what are they about mainly? Loving God. Next six commandments, what are they about mainly? Loving your neighbor. And so this, this principle regarding ownership, stewardship, stealing, not stealing, it's an aspect of love for your neighbor. So, so let's sum this, sum this up. Foundations to this command not to steal. First foundation. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. So important. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. To whom does everything belong? It all belongs to God. He's the creator. He's the giver. So as you take this in, if you believe this truth, in relationship to him, what do you have actually that's truly fundamentally yours? Nothing. It's his. This is, this is, this is deep water. Imagine this. Your life. Who made it? He did. Whose is it? It's his. Your time. That's a kind of property, isn't it? Your time. Who gave your time to you and gives it to you every day? He does. Whose is it? It's his. Your body. Who made your body? He did. Whose is it? It's his. Your property, whatever you have. Some of you are like, I ain't got no property. Whatever you have graciously stewarded to you from him. So what does this mean? I mean, on one, hand, on one hand, it's a joyful gift, right? We ought to be just deeply thankful for what we have. It's a gift. Life and breath today, being here today, seeing one another today, a beautiful day outside, you're going to eat food, you have somewhere to sleep tonight. What a gift. God has given us so much, we ought to be thankful. But there's also this sobering aspect to it. The Bible's clear in many, many texts. We're going to answer to God for what we did with his stuff that he stewarded to us. And I mean all of it, right? Everything we just mentioned. It's his, and so we're, we're, to, we're to manage it for his sake according to his purposes. And we're going to answer to him for how we do that. So in light of that reality, right, it's all God's, and he stewards responsibility to people made in his image. In light of that reality, now think from your neighbor's situation. If everything you have is a gift from God, everything your neighbor has is a gift from God. And what right do you have to something that God gave to someone else? None. This is, this is a big deal. Um, when we steal from one another, who are we really stealing from? We're stealing from him. So we could, we could talk about, I, I couldn't talk about it very well. We could try to talk about the political theory of thou shalt not steal in private property. We, we could talk about it near everyone, but not everyone, but 
Nearly everyone believes that to have a civilized society, you, you've got to have some sort of private property. But, but for Christians, this goes so much deeper because there's a lot of people who know they don't want anyone to steal from them and who believe that stealing would be bad for civilization that still somehow steal, right? But for us, it goes so much bigger than that because this is about honoring God himself. He has stewarded what he has stewarded to whom he has stewarded it. And so we are to honor him as the creator and the giver in how we view what he has stewarded to us and what he has stewarded to others. And so that's the background on do not steal. I'm the Lord your God who made you, who gave to each of you and all your neighbors what you have. So if you're gonna honor and respect me as your God and your neighbor made in my image, don't steal. Okay, here's applications of this command. So I'll just tell you up front, I have eight, all right, eight. And you're thinking, really, eight? And I'm, and I'm just gonna tell you, it's because I respect you, that's why it's eight. But I love you, and that's why it's not 12, okay? <laughs> I'll move quickly. You shall not steal with no qualifications. Did you notice it didn't say you shall not steal except for from those people or except for from the rich, you can steal from them because they have a lot or except for from the poor because they're easy to take from or except for from this group of people because they're bad or except from those people, you don't like them. Did you hear? It's you shall not steal. And what comes after that? The next command, right? So just think about that. Don't steal ever. And that's, that's part of our hearts, right? There's a little bit of stealing from this place. That, I, mean, I was at Costco the other day, and I was returning some clothes that didn't fit. And, uh, and the lady taking my return gave me two of them. And the little sinful part of me is like, oh, you just made 20 bucks. And then the part of me that writes sermons every week is like, 20 bucks is not worth making God angry. It's not mine. But you could think, right? I mean, how much money does Costco have? So much money. Will they miss it? Come on, church. Will they miss it? They'll never miss it. They'll never feel it. Who cares? It's not mine, right? Don't steal. Number two, this was interesting to me this week. You shall not steal people. Now, I know that most of you are not tempted to this. I trust but it's worth seeing it in the scriptures. Look at Exodus 21, 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Can you imagine if that Bible verse was applied in certain contexts? Uh, to be honest, right, we know in the scriptures in the ancient world, there are different kinds of slavery. There's indentured servanthood. There's distinction to these things. I'm not gonna go into all that right now. But chattel, slavery, people or property, steal them, sell them, worthy of death, according to the Torah. Why is it so serious? Well, obviously, I mean, what's the most precious thing other than just killing you? What's the most precious thing someone can steal from you? It's just your very liberty, your freedom. That should never be stolen. Number three is an enormous category. You shall not commit fraud. It's a slick way to steal, right? What is fraud? Deception intended to result in financial gain. 
I, I think the key is like manipulation, right? Deceptive manipulation. And even uh, some of you are wiser on this than I am, but this is just everything from just massive systems, governments, economies, businesses, etc., all the way down to our own context, our own lives. It's stealing. Look at Leviticus 19.36. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, a just hin. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And we're like, what's an ephah? What's a hin? Uh, they're all ways to measure a fair deal. They're all ways to measure a fair deal. So you want to buy five pounds of grain? I got a five-pound weight. We put it on the scale. How do I know I gave you five pounds of grain? And it's a five-pound weight. There it is. We're fair. You're buying. You're getting what you're paying for. It's fair. But what if I just hollow out a little bottom of that weight? It's four and a half pounds. And you're paying five pounds. I'm only giving you four and a half pounds. I'm stealing from you. It's fraud. I didn't go to house and take your stuff. I'm stealing from you in this business dealing. And look, the Lord here in this verse reminds them as he gives this, as he gives this command of slavery. When we steal from people in fraud, we're stealing from their very liberty, from their freedom. It's a serious thing. Or Proverbs 16, 11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. You see what God loves? God loves fair and honest dealing. Where we take into account love of our neighbor with, with every transaction we make, he loves fairness, honesty. And when work is done fairly, that's God's work. So honestly, when you, when you make a fair deal, someone makes a fair deal with you, you, you paid the, the right price and you received the right product and all the implications of that, praise God, that is God's providence. That is his kindness that fairness occurred. But then we're all aware, right? And this, this, this could be an eternal conversation of just fraud, massive scale fraud. I won't even try to go into it, but look at Proverbs 20, 23. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. And then if, if you wanna read the minor prophets especially, they're calling out systems of fraud. You are stealing. This is an application of this command. You are stealing and God hates it and people will answer for it. So if we're doing it in any way, that should sober us up. And when we're victimized by it and can't do a thing about it, that should comfort us. God sees it. And someday in his way, he will bring justice. He hates fraud. It's stealing. Number four, excessive interest in taking advantage of the poor. Exodus 22, 25, just two chapters after the chapter we're looking at. Look at Exodus 22, 25. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down for that's his only covering. It's his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear for I'm compassionate. Do you hear God speak? Uh, is he against interest for business dealings, like a loan for starting a business or buying a home? No. This is about making money on someone else's misfortune. How much money is made on someone else's misfortune? 
Uh, in this case, you imagine someone losing nearly everything for, for some tragedy. And so the only way they can get on their feet is take out a loan. They, they have to. And you're like, oh, they have to. Well, I'll give it to you at such and such a percent. And the interest is so heavy, they can't possibly ever get out of the hole now. You're making, break, you're making bank, they're broken and enslaved. And you're like, hey, it's all legal. They signed the contract. God says, you're stealing. And I see it. I hear it. I know it. Our implication of this text is not paying labor as a fair wage. We know there's always been massive companies making huge money. Some of their workers, especially overseas, barely make enough to survive. It's all legal. God would call it stealing. Because if you're not taking into account the survival, the thriving of your neighbor, and they cry out because they don't have a place to sleep in this text, God says, I hear that, and you're stealing. Wow. Here's another one. You're all going to love me for this one. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? Romans 13. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also, now you all, you all just tell me what the text is. Because of this, you also what? What do you do? You pay taxes. Why? Because the authorities are, huh? Ministers of God. Now pause, because some of you are like, no way. Okay, who's in charge when this letter is written? It's a Roman Caesar, probably Nero, okay? Not a paragon of virtue, okay? All of his policies are not glorious righteousness. What does the apostle say Christians do anyway? What do we do? We pay our taxes, because who set up the authority in his sovereign providential hand? Who set it up? God did. And who has decided that some resources would be stewarded to the government for his purposes and the good of the people? Who has decided that? God has. And so you pay your taxes. And if you won't pay your taxes, God says, what are you doing? You're stealing. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I'm moving along. Six, I made up a word here, laziness and moochery, okay? Moochery. First laziness, look at Proverbs 18.9. Whoever is slack in his work, is brother to whom? Him who destroys. So what's it mean to be slack in your work? You're being lazy. You're slacking off. You're not doing your best. You're not trying. You're flaking on commitments. You're not, you're not getting there on time. You're not doing your honest best with your integrity as you can in that situation. And when you do that, you're stealing. And, and your, your brother with the one who's actually lighting it on fire. You're breaking things down. It's a problem. So just laziness. You know, it's disappointing, isn't it? Um, 
Maybe this has happened to you. It's happened to me a couple of times. You'll have a company be like, oh, we're a Christian company, which, fine, that, that's great. But if you're going to tell the world you're a Christian company, what should you make sure of when it comes to your product and your service? It had better be the best thing we've ever seen at a very competitive price. And how many times do Christian companies give you junk products and junk services? I've experienced this myself. I need to forgive. <laughs> um, it's disappointing, isn't it? It ruins our witness. If we want to tell people like at work or wherever we work about Jesus, and they know we're not giving it our best. When it's obvious we're not doing our best, when they see that and we want to tell them the gospel, we really harm our witness, don't we? Because they know, and they haven't just put it into words yet, and now I'm telling you, I mean, we know, you're stealing. That's why it ruins the witness. Am I saying we need to be workaholics? No, no, no. Am I saying no one ever makes mistakes? No. Am I saying, am I saying don't take breaks? No. You hear what I'm saying, right? We got to do our best. That's laziness. Here's moochery, okay? Second Thessalonians 3.10. Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. As anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, the context here is a church providing services to the needy. That's the context that's really important. They're providing charity in some way. And so here you have someone there who could contribute, who could work, who could do something helpful, and they won't. But they still want the charity from those who did work and then gave sacrificially. And Paul says in the church, if there's somebody mooching like that, won't contribute, want the charity from those who have contributed, don't give it to them. Why? Because they're stealing. And it is not love to enable someone else's stealing. It's also not loving to those who gave their hard-earned to help those who are truly needy. So laziness, moochery, stealing. Two more on these applications. Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? That's interesting, isn't it? How on earth could you rob God? He's got like a good security system on his property, right? How could you rob God? How have we robbed you? Malachi 3.8 in your tithes and contributions. So Israel, right, according to the law, God's gonna bless them, he's gonna take care of them, he's gonna protect them, he's gonna steward them property. Part of the property they give, and, and they have, is to go towards the system of worship, right? And so in the context of Malachi, people are skimping on that big time, and if they're giving anything, they're just giving the dregs, the leftovers, nothing of quality. And so God actually says to his people, why are you robbing me? And I can hear the echo from our hearts, right? So God has just said, if you don't give to the church in some way, you're stealing from him. Did you hear that? That's, wow. And then you think, well, how am I robbing God? It's my money. I worked for it. Deuteronomy 8.17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. <laughs> the Bible knows us, doesn't it? How'd you know what I was thinking? 
Beware lest you say that in your heart. Verse 18, you shall remember. What do you need to remember? That's the foundation of this command. The Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So that takes it even deeper. It's not just that God gave you your wealth. He gave you the ability to make wealth. He gave you the context where making wealth is possible. So you're like, well, I have a good work ethic. Sweet. Praise God. You have a good work ethic. And so now you see it really is all of his. And actually, God's quite kind. Think of all the things he stewards to you. He doesn't ask for every single cent to go um, to tithing or whatever. No, he gives you money to provide, to enjoy life, to create and build, all of these things. But some of it, he says, if you love me, you're going to give to my kingdom. And if you won't, you're stealing from me. That's number eight, or that's number seven. Here's number eight, and it's the best and worst one of all. So if you're still thinking, I've never broken this command in any way, gonna get you right here, okay? Romans 13, eight, such interesting language. Owe no one anything except to what? To love one another. Oh, are you in debt? In a way, we're in debt to one another. What do I owe you? Love. What do we owe one another? Love. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. And now Paul, he's working through the commandments. Verse 9, for the command, you shall not commit adultery. We looked at that week. You shall not commit murder two weeks ago. You shall not steal today. You shall not covet. Any other command are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling, fulfilling of the law. It's so fascinating to think about how we're each born owing a debt. And, and isn't the idea of justice built on the principle that you've got to give others to what is due to them? You have to give others what is due to them. There's a deserving based on who they are, made in the image of God, based on standards of righteousness. So, so think of justice then, giving others what they deserve. Think of justice in light of God. What does God deserve from you? Just everything, right? Devotion, love. He deserves that from, from us. So how often do we steal from him? And then what's more, our neighbor. We owe one another what God says we owe to one another. We owe love as defined by these commands. So when we refuse to love our neighbor according to God's commands, what are we doing? We're stealing. So now here I'm caught red-handed. I try to be a man of integrity. I try to be above board. But in the end, looking at this kind of a standard, does anybody get out? We've stolen, we've robbed from one another, haven't we? When we won't love. So we need Jesus. All right, now let's get into how Jesus fulfills this command. I just want to remind all of you as we see these commands, they're not meant to be a ladder on the way up to God by which we save ourselves. Are you guys convinced of that yet, right? I think it's a great illustration because now we're on the eighth command and eight rungs of the ladder, they're all broken. We're not going up. Because we're broken before them. That's part of what the law is meant to do. It exposes our need for God's grace. I'm not enough to be right with God. 
And this shows me that. But it's also meant to show us our need for Jesus. And I love to just think about how this is a portrait of Jesus' life. Jesus said he fulfilled the law. And as you work for the Ten Commandments, you see he really did. I mean, he lived out each one of these in glorious perfection. And so it's encouraging to think about how his perfect righteousness in keeping these commands, that's the righteousness he gives to us as we put our faith in him. So we think about Jesus now. Not only did he never steal, what is he always doing? He's giving and giving and giving and giving and giving at great cost to himself. Great cost. Think of what he gave his life to give you. At the end of John, as the resurrection, he tells his disciples, due to his resurrection, they can call God. He said, my father and your father. Jesus came to give you his father so that you could be children of God, loved by the same love, the father for the son. You now are adopted through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Look at what he gave you. Is there anything better than that? He gives us his Holy Spirit so we can enjoy God's presence, be actually the temple of God in our body in a way, as the church. He came to give us this. Jesus gave his life so he could share his eternal inheritance with us. Some of the nastiest fights, right, you'll ever see are when people fight over inheritances. It's just kind of mind-blowing to think of Jesus, what, what Jesus does with his inheritance. He looks at the undeserving and says, here, I just would like to, I would like to give you everything. I would like to share it all with you. And so we can count on a resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth and the treasure we have there because Jesus came and gave himself for us. He gave up himself to give and this is what changes our hearts. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 9. Here's that transformation we need. Paul's actually asking the Corinthian church here to give up some of their resources to serve the needy. And when Paul asks you to do anything, he's going to get theological with you. He wants to give you a hardcore truth reason for why you ought to do such and such. And look at what he says, 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is grace, right? It's a picture of undeserved love. Though he was rich, how, how rich is the eternal son of God from all ages? Just glorious. The eternal son of God. Though he was rich, yet, and what are those next three words? For your sake. That's, a, that's amazing too, because he's writing to the Corinthians. It's not the, it's not the best church, <laughs> But Paul can still say to these very flawed people, for your sake, he became poor. How did Jesus become poor? He could go on and on. Just becoming human is a kind of a demotion in a way, right? From being, he becomes human. But then as a human, he was a poor human. Not only that, he was mocked and he was crucified. You want to be poor? naked on a cross. He did that for you so that you're, by his poverty, do you see? In him giving himself away, 
What happened to you and me? You became rich. Church, are you rich today? This is is the question that's got to get at your heart. Are you rich today? You know, if your heart's always like, I don't have and I need, it's going to lead you into taking and hoarding, right? How can Paul say we're rich? He's not thinking about your bank account or your home. He's thinking about Christ and what you have in him. And when you see that you are so undeserving as this selfish, miserly person on your own, and when you see what Jesus has done for you, to give himself up, to give you everything, and then your heart is just thrilled with his love for you. Look at this transformation. Here's an example, Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him, what do we want to do? Labor. Is work good or bad, biblically speaking? It's good. Work. Create wealth. Make money. Build up your company as you can, whatever it is. But let him labor doing honest work, no stealing. With his own hands, so that, and here's one of the goals. Why? One one reason we work. So that he may, what? Have something to share with anyone in need. The Christian heart should say this. This is deeply challenging to me. Um, What if our hearts, I'd love to be able to make more money because I really want to give more. Because what's what's the easy easy thing? I'd love to make more money because I really want to, I want to keep more. I want to build more barns. I have more of a security. I want to have more of a, I'm not demeaning those things per se. But do you see the inclination of the heart that happens when you see what God has done for you? I I would like to work with my own hands and make money so that I can give. The only way that happens in your heart is if you're thrilled with what Jesus gave to you. So some ways to follow Jesus now. Work through just a couple. Here, Luke, look at Luke 12, 32. This is that principle applied. Fear not, little flock. Those are good words today. And why would we not be afraid, church? It is your father's good pleasure. What's he want to do? To give you his kingdom. He's happy to give you his kingdom. So because you believe that, What should you do in some way? Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now, now here our hearts are like, but Jesus, I don't have any security if I do that. Isn't that interesting? Does Jesus know you want security? He's not trying to take security away from you. He's trying to give you actual security. Are you you awake yet to the fact that this world is not going to provide you with the security you long for? It's not. Jesus says, provide yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. When no thief approaches, no moth destroys, where your treasure is, your heart is also. When you have your security in Jesus and what he's done for you and his promises to you, it sets you free to want to invest in the true treasure. 
right? So that gives us that new security with a new treasure. Number two, give cheerfully. Here's the rule in the New Testament about giving. You don't get a hard percentage like you do in the Old Testament. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Verse 7, each one must give. How do you know what to give? As he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I guess I got to give because God said so. You know, keep it. He's not poor. The only kind of giving that honors God is when you're like, I love what Jesus did for me. I want to put this into practice. I'm going to trust him. God loves a cheerful giver. And why? Why does he love a cheerful giver? Because it shows you actually believe his promises. You actually believe in the security you have in him, and you actually believe that supporting his kingdom work, however that happens, is going to wind up in treasures in heaven. And so you're cheerful. You're like, this is great. What else would I rather be doing? You believe his promises when you're like, I don't know, I don't want to do that. Think about it. By the way, I just want to thank God for those of you who give and enable this church to exist, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, right? If you ever appreciated having a local church and, and making it work, there are some people who give and give a lot. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for giving. Number three, don't participate in corruption, but stand for those being taken advantage of. I don't know what your company's going to be like, what somebody's going to ask you to do, what you're going to be tempted to do. Fudge the numbers, do this or that, right? The, who knows? The applications are endless. But when you see corruption, come on, what are we going to do? No. Is it worth not getting a promotion because you won't partake in corruption? Yes. Is it worth even getting fired because you're not going to steal? Yes. And when we see somehow within our reach, when we see somehow people taken advantage of, We've got to advocate for them somehow, in some way, right? One small way, our special offering this month, International Justice Mission. They help rescue people all around the world from slavery. It's just a way to show that money is not our God. Give some money to a group that does good work to set people free. It's a way to say we want to stand up for these people that have no one else to stand for them, right? Just a small way. Think about giving to IJM. Number four, again, we're trying to follow Jesus as we keep this command. Fulfill your calling. You know, so if you read, say, Ephesians 5 to 6, you're going to see these varieties of relationships talked about. And then in each one of these relationships, you're going to see that these relationships are called to give something to this other person in that relationship. Just one example, fathers, raise your children in the knowledge of the Lord. Okay, so what do I owe my kids now? I owe them the attention and discipleship that they deserve. God has said it, right? So just in light of that idea, think of your relationships. You got a lot of them. Friends, family, kids, grandkids, who knows? Boyfriend, girlfriend, coworkers, employees, employers, your spouse, your children, fellow church members, those who have not heard the gospel, 
What do you owe these different relationships according to God's word? So here's where we want to just ask the Holy Spirit to whisper to us. Where are you stealing right now? Where is there something that you owe based on God's word to someone somehow? And how are you withholding that? Fulfill your calling. It's one way we make sure we don't steal. I'll finish with this story. Make restoration. Make restoration. So you remember Zacchaeus, right? Everybody know the song? We're not going to sing it, but he was a wee little man, right? A wee little man was he. Uh, He was also a head tax collector. So you could buy that post from Rome, and you had the strength of Rome to help you collect both the taxes and whatever else above that you would like to collect. And so tax collectors were very rich and very hated, and you can imagine why. Zacchaeus was the preeminent taker, fraud, stealing, and he's rich. Well, he hears Jesus is coming. Something's going on in his heart. He hears Jesus is coming. And so he has everything he can to just get a glimpse of Jesus. That's why he climbs the tree. He can't see because of the crowd. He, wants, he just wants in on Jesus somehow. And then Jesus does something astounding. Look at Luke 19.5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. He doesn't always do this. And what's the first word he says? Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I'm staying at your house today. You see, Jesus being willing to come in fellowship with thieves. With thieves. And look at the two reactions to grace. Zacchaeus, verse 6, hurries down and receives Jesus joyfully. I can't believe that you would have love and grace for me because he knows who he is. I can't believe you would come to me, the thief, and and look at the crowd, verse 7. When they saw it, what did they do? They grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Good people don't do that, right? Maybe they do. Maybe they show God's grace even to the thief. So Jesus doesn't care what people think. He eats with him. He expresses friendship with him. And this is, this is somebody we would all hate, you guys. Think of the person, the political figure, whatever, the systematic figure you hate. This is that guy that Jesus is going to his house to eat with. It's just grace. You're like, he doesn't deserve it. That's right. Do you? Look what happens, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, this is the transformation. Behold, Lord, half, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of, every, of anything, I restore it fourfold. What has happened in his heart? Instead of being a selfish taker, now he's a sacrificial giver. And the application here is when he realizes he's, he's been stealing, he restores it. He restores it. Ask the Lord to show you how you need to restore what you've been stealing. And all, all these categories, relationally, financially, whatever it is, how do you need to restore? 
what you've been stealing. Because look at verse 10. Jesus says, the son of, uh, or 9 to 10, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He's a son of Abraham. He's fully in because he's trusted in the Savior. He's forgiven. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is so generous that he saves thieves. And aren't we glad? Because I am one and I need him. So may we fear the Lord so deeply that we take seriously our stewardship God has given us and the stewardship of others. And may the gospel so change our hearts that we no longer want to steal, but instead we desire to give all because we know we've been given so much in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, these commands just, uh, they beat us up. As we see your holiness, what you call for from us, as we see our lack, as we get exposed, Lord, forgive us, forgive us. Forgive me for ways I just have not loved. I'm just handicapped almost in loving how I'm so inclined to be selfish and fearful and miserly. Lord, help us see Jesus today who he is and what he's done, that he lived a perfect life to make us righteous, that he died on the cross for our sins. He gave himself up to make us rich. He rose from the dead. We're his. He is ours. And his eternal inheritance belongs to us as well. Lord, transform our hearts to where we have a deep seriousness, Lord, for a joyful seriousness of what you've given us, to protect what you've given others, Lord, and to, from the heart, not just have integrity, but be givers, Lord. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.